When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi there and welcome to Missed Apex iRacing Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready. We're the podcast for the everyday iRacer. Looking at iRacing from a hobbyist point of view, we'll bring you experts to make you wiser, happier and faster. Uh, we have, uh, as we've had for the last few shows, Brad Philpot. How's it going, Brad? Going really well. Um, I've just been sat here fiddling with my, um, my simulator, making it look pretty. And that's going to be most of my afternoon. And cable management, I assume. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, you've been fresh from Daytona 24, the, um, the, the much maligned and, and almost cursed iRacing tournament that started some four hours behind schedule. Yes, but it did eventually get going and, uh, and we had a nice strong run in split two and I've still got the blisters to prove it. That's, yeah. Endurance racing is too long, man. I just I don't know. I just don't know why people do it. I was set up to take part in a team. But the, the four or five hour delay took me out of that window. But you guys ended up running in split two out of like yes. a thousand splits. I think it was actually 55 splits in the end. So a, a lot of drivers. And I believe it's the biggest special event ever on iRacing. So that explains why it was a little bit um, congested in the servers to begin with. And they had the delays. But yeah, we were surprised to be in almost the highest split. We were, we were probably thinking we we're going to be more like three or four. So we had a bit of a hard race. But nevertheless, you know, despite those problems, still very high profile. A lot of the big media F1 outlets had teams running. Fernando Alonso, Max Verstappen, every driver that you've heard of ever picking up a sim wheel was there. So, like, it's it's not going away, is it? And, like, with Roman Grosjean tweeting out how realistic and racy it all felt, it's getting real traction from RL drivers. Yeah, it really is. And, and I'm fully bought into how real it feels when you're doing a special event like that and you've done the preparation like you would have done in real life and you know you're sat in the car for the same length of period uh, same um, period of time as you would in real life and you're physically very tired after a stint just like real life um it it really does get you very close now and we've got a new friend joining us on Miss apex iRacing podcast as well we've got dorian tabachnik how's it going dorian hello going great bit of a sore neck but a good day why a sore neck from the g-forces of your sim rig absolutely yeah <laughs> so let's uh, introduce you a bit to our listeners uh, you stream uh in particular what i've been watching of your stream is your f3 guides for the f3 officials and you do these little instructional recording videos as well which which frankly are are fantastic i caught one and was going to reach out to you i'm lazy and i didn't kyle power then reached out to me the next day and said hey you've got to check out this dory guy on youtube Oh, well, shout out to Kyle. <laughs> yeah, um, 
basically what I do, I don't really stream as much anymore. I mostly just do YouTube content. So yeah, I do track guides for LMP2 and F3s and race highlights, traffic management, and all sorts of shenanigans, really. Oh, fantastic. So you do like racecraft videos as well? Yeah, well, I put more emphasis. I would take like an hour long race like ILMS or ESS, how it's named right now. And I would snip it down. I wouldn't put the full hour, just 15 minutes of me managing traffic and other cars and just giving my explanation as I drive through it and how it all feels uh, from a first person <laughs> view. See, that's interesting, Brad. I got a little bit of a taste in the practice sessions. I have to say I was very tired. It was late at night when you were, were spotting for me. But but having those uh, LMP2 cars just smashing past you and just appearing in your wing mirror when you're in your little GT, I mean, that is a that is a skill of its own, isn't it? That sensation, especially in VR, gets you very, very close to what that's like in real life when you're <laughs> out on track with faster classes mm. or, or slower classes that you're having to pass. And you've got all this extra management to do that it's not just focusing on your own lap time. You've got other people to worry about. And part of the skill being how to lose as little time as possible whilst letting other cars through. So you've got a bit of a taster of that. And of course, there's that that video of, um, is it is it too soon to talk about this? Like in real life at the Nordschleifer, when you had a faster class Porsche cut across the nose of you. And that's the only time I've seen you crash in any way. But like, do you, do you not remember that? And you had to get on the brakes. You even got on the grass, I think, to try and avoid him. Uh, yeah. But it just shows you how hard that multi-class survival is. Yeah, it's my only real crash at the Nordschleife. And it wasn't even on the Nordschleife. It was on the GP track. But yeah, and I've got other videos. One went reasonably viral where a GT3 car went for an opportunistic pass on me at Galgenkopf, the final corner before the really long straight on the Nordschleife and just nailed into the back of me. And it's one of those things that can can happen um, in multi-class racing, especially when you've got twisty bits of the track. And Dorian, you would tend to find yourself in the LMP2 on iRacing as, um, as the fastest car when you're doing traffic management. So how does it feel from being the big bully boy fast car? Yeah, well, the def- it's definitely a lot of responsibility. You really have to be careful and try to predict what the cars are going to do with the cars in front of you specifically. Um, there's a lot of emphasis uh, being put on broadcasting your moves, letting people know what you're going to do uh, ahead of the corner. And there's a lot of things, there's a lot of ways to communicate with other drivers without talking okay. in comms. Okay. Well, how, how do you communicate that you're about to send it up the inside? Well, I would definitely take the inside line earlier than what's necessary. So if I only need, let's say we're breaking at the 100, I'm not going to take the inside line at the 125. I'm going to take the inside line at the 200 or the 250. So the car in front of me will know, look, I'm going to outbreak you into this corner and I'm going to try to take the inside line and try to overtake you into the apex. And just letting them know that will make them a lot more comfortable by leaving the inside line and just plan ahead, having that opportunity to plan ahead. So, Dorian, how much do you use the flashing headlights to signal your moves? Because I notice it's something that uh, the the slower class drivers get annoyed at if you're doing it too much. So if you're just flashing headlights, they don't really like it. And then they flash at you after you've gone past them. But I was using, at the weekend, I was using my headlights sparingly to only announce I was coming through if it was a bit of a half-half move. So if I thought, "Mm, they might think I'm going to wait, but I'm not going to (laughs) wait, that's when I would flash the lights just to make sure they knew I was on the inside as I made the pass. Right. Well, that's actually a good idea. I don't even have it mapped, honestly. Um, I use my instincts to tell me if this guy is going to let me through or not. And I'm not trying to force the issue. So if he's not going to do it, 
there's nothing I can do about it. I would just flash in my lights. Usually not going to help in my experience. Maybe in endurance racing, people are more aware. They have spotters. But in 45-minute races or an hour-long races, or even the six hours where people just randomly sign up, uh, I don't think flashing lights, the lights help a lot. I, I don't understand why would you get annoyed by that, but still. Oh, um, uh, it might be a British thing, Brad, because uh, flashing lights is definitely a sign of aggression on British roads. Like it, it means everything from, uh, hey, after you, all the way through to pay attention to, I will murder you and your descendants. Yeah, I agree, actually, Dorian. I don't get annoyed at all. If I'm driving in a slower class and people are flashing the lights, I also don't find that annoying. It's just one of the things that you have in endurance racing. But I have noticed that people in iRacing just get a little bit miffed when you're doing that. So I'm just trying to do it as little as possible. You, like you say, don't even have the button map, so it's not a problem for you. Yeah, I, I try to... Well, I, I would I would talk to them in comms and I would say, look, I'm going to take the inside line here. But uh, usually the... the fla- the light flashing, yeah, it could go either way. It can can go for you and can go against you because some people do get annoyed by that. So, you yep. know, if you have a pissed off GTE in front of you and if you're in an LMP2, they can hold you off for a very long time because their mid-corner speed, especially on low-speed corners, is very, very, very similar. So if they're not giving you the line and you're trying to take it force, like by force, that will be a very dangerous situation. So try not to piss them off, trying to be as smooth as possible with them and you know maybe asking very nicely in comms sometimes helps that's one of the things that both uh, me and kyle said appealed to us about your videos and the way you talk about racecraft as well is that um you seem very aware of being like a good eye racing citizen as well which is something that i try to work on and i'm pretty good at until someone punts me and i feel a massive sense of injustice i've had to disable my in-game chat when i'm driving so until i can get a sports psychologist to tease that out of me uh, I can't use communications. I'll have to rely on lights and stuff like that. Um, but Trumpets, during the um, Daytona 24 practice, mapped his lights to the, his to the same button as his Discord push-to-talk. And uh, he was showing me the, the way around. And I'm like, why is, he, why is he flashing his lights constantly? And then he explained it afterwards. He was like, yeah, sorry, I was limiting uh, how much I could talk to you. Uh, I didn't want to be flashing my lights. So that was funny. We've got a couple of listener questions towards the end of the show. But the reason I wanted to talk to you today, well, the reason you are gathered here today is to talk about risk and reward. And, and Dorian, this is from watching one of your videos when I was trying to get faster around Barcelona. Turn one, there's a big sausage curb on the inside. Now, I was treating that sausage curb as my apex point, much as so I would um, on um, an indoor kart track. I was like, I will go that far and no further. And then you made a throwaway comment. You said, it is definitely faster to put the inside wheel on the inside of that curb, but don't do it because you will <laughs> crash. And I thought that's a really interesting perspective. Normally you get people telling you the absolute fastest way to go around a track. So for example, Brad at Buckmore Park, he was in my intercom. He he got me cheating so much on one of the curbs that we got them to change the structure of the track. And when we when we turned up in the morning, they'd specifically put barriers there to stop me doing that. Uh, but Dorian, so with, with risk reward, what is it that urges you to sort of go, no, I don't take that inside curb the fastest way. Well, it's the matter. It's a matter of success rate, uh, specifically in practice. When you, usually I won't log into a, an official race before I had a good twenty, thirty, sometimes fifty or sixty laps of practice. And if I know that I can make it through a specific, let's say I can do T one and have that inside of the car and the inside of that 
sausage curb, uh, eight times out of 10, then I would probably take that risk. But if I can only do that uh, three times out of 10, I would probably avoid it altogether. I don't know. Two times out of 10, Brad, for me, that equals not finishing the race. On a 16-lap race, that means four times <laughs> I'm going to get flung off and die. Yeah, th- this is actually a really important um, subject because if you care about progressing your iRating and you know moving mm. your iRacing career forward, you do need to finish the races in a position which you know is correct for you you need to not be crashing and then just picking up a couple of places at the back um and so working out how much risk you can get away with is such a major part of of i racing this barcelona example um i i haven't noticed that particular curb um and I'm, i don't tend to drive the same cars as dorian but um if i found something like that and i, I found i couldn't necessarily hook it up every time but you know it, maybe 50% of the time, if you went for it, you could make it. I would maybe make that my second qualifying lap after doing a banker. <laughs> so you've kind of removed some of the risk. Yeah. You've managed to get near the front in qualifying. So it's not a disaster if the second lap doesn't go brilliantly and then push and try for it. But even that I would weigh up, do I need to? Am I fast enough that I can get the top two maybe without using that curb? So I'll just bank a really good time. Or is there someone in this session that I know it, I'm going to have to be absolutely on the limit to beat them, in which case maybe we take a bit more risk. And then it flips again in the race where you can't afford any spins. You don't have a banker in the race. If you're off, no. then you're off and you're going to lose. And I mean, that's particularly where we are at the moment with the F3 officials, Dorian, at um, Bell Island, Detroit. I-, I found that once I had a, a place I was even vaguely happy with, like I'd sleep- sneaked into the top 10, I was not pushing. I was not taking my uh, uh, early early acceleration points i was just gently tiptoeing around the corner so it's situation dependent um but um it's it's knowing that 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 option exists and knowing when to deploy it i think um i'm certainly lacking that experience Uh, go on brad you first so i'm i'm doing some officials this week at uh, zolder in the formula renault 2.0s and there's a particular curb um some of the chicanes have quite flat curbs that you can use Um, They've certainly got like limits where there are really raised curbs on the inside. But there's one corner in particular, which is the first chicane, which just has quite kind of large sleeping policeman kind of curbs that if you hit them right, you'll get a really good lap time. And if you hit them wrong, it will fire you immediately into the wall on the left hand side. And you mentioned knowing when to deploy that extra risk. I did a race yesterday where I was out front leading, had a a nice little cushion. I didn't use um, a significant amount of those curbs at all because I didn't need to. But had I been in P5, maybe I dropped down the order at the start and I needed to move forward and I had to find the pace. That was an option for me. I could have used that risk. So it's just knowing when to use it. What what are we talking about in lap time then to take that risk? What are you gaining? Probably three tenths, three no. or four tenths of a second per lap. Yeah. So, which is enough where if, if it's static yeah. and no one's moving forward, that's going to gain you big chunks of time every lap. Uh, Dorian, what about that Barcelona turn one for straddling the, the sausage curb? Well, um, it depends on the car. With the, with the F3, I wouldn't do it at all because the success rate is just too low. But let's say with a GT car, uh, I would probably go for it. Uh, I don't know. If I'm doing 30 laps, I will go for about 10 or 15 laps. Depending on how tough the split is, uh, it's like Brad said, if I'm in a five, six, seven K split and I need, I'm going to take insane risks because I know I'm probably going to get a decent result uh, in terms of I rating. I wouldn't lose much even if I end up in 10th. I spin the car around, just, you know, crawl back up, crawl back up. So I'm going to take insane risk. I'm going to go for it every 
time, every lap. If I'm doing 30 laps, I'm going to try 30 laps. But if I'm doing it, if I'm, if I'm in a 2K split, because that's the highest split available right now, I'm going to be much more conservative because I know I will lose 150 I rating if I drop down to the bottom and I would just take it much easier. Oh, I forgot to uh, compare I ratings. That's what we should do. Anyone who comes on this podcast, you have to introduce yourself by your I rating. That would be right. Okay. Hi, I'm Richard Reddy. I rating of 1789 at the moment, but that's actually recovering from about 1500 in the Formula Renault 2.0s. It was like 2100. Um, what are you on, Brad, at the minute? Uh, 6,600. Oh, what about you, Dorian? 4,100. 4,100. There you go, Brad. Your I rating's bigger, which means that it's more impressive. Well <laughs> I <done. lose. laughs> oh, no, That's quite good. Um, I know there's different ways to, to approach uh, I rating. Brad is very specifically concentrating and farming I rating because it's a massive priority for him to get into uh, various competitions. Um, but I think I, as a mere 1,700 or so type racer, I think I would like to understand a little bit more about the curbs. So several types of curb, um, the red and white ones, I feel like you're generally meant to go onto them. You're supposed to go onto it. Then you get the kind of yellow sausage curb ones, which uh, if you get up onto them, it really causes you severe drama. They're punitive almost. And then at Zolder, you had the sleeping policemen that you were talking about there, which are like the blue ones that are horizontal, if you like. They're in the same plane as your your front tires. Um Basically, Dorian, Dorian, sorry, where and when do we do we use those curbs? Are there any kind of golden rules like the yellow ones never put your wheel on them? I think it varies uh, quite significantly between each car. There's uh, even even in the same class, there's cars, let's say the Corvette, the GTE, the C8. It's insanely good on the curbs. You, it's an off-roader. <laughs> you can take cur- <laughs> the curbs like crazy with that car, but there are other cars they're not as good. So you would have to find what where the car is good and how the setup allows for you to take those curbs. And some curbs are impossible with certain cars. And with other cars, they're the recommended racing line. Okay. So let's say in Zolder specifically, uh, he, Brad is about to do a Formula 2.0. But uh, last week, I've been doing a lot of F3 there. And that first chicane specifically, it's exactly how he says there's a lot of time to be gained and a lot of risks to be had if you're taking that uh, that initial uh, curb very aggressively. With a with a GTE car, I would take it ten times out of ten. I would do it every single time. There's the the risk is so low. So you would actually That's, drive over the the sleeping policeman as much as I can without getting slowed down and off track. Right. Even with an off track, sometimes it's worth the off track to gain that little bit of extra time. So if it's half a tenth. And I'm two tenths behind someone. That half a tenth is everything for me. Mm. So I, I, I want that half tenth. So I, I've been doing single seaters and F3 more than anything at the moment. Obviously, a different story with that, Brad. If I feel like any yellow, any of those yellow sleeping policeman type curbs, and then at Imola, for example, that you've got the red and white curbs, and then a very, very kind of domey high red curb. And for ages at Imola, Kyle was saying to me at the chicane. Trust me, Spanish, it doesn't feel comfortable, but you've got to hit that second curb and go all the way over it. And, and lap after lap, I'm like smashing my front wing. I'm spinning off. I'm just, I can't do it. Eventually, he watches me and he's like, no, no, not that one. The, the inside one. So you have got to be careful what type of curb we're talking about. Yeah, and, and how fast you're going and what the angle of the corner is. And, you know, it is definitely very situation specific. Um, but you're right. There are some like at that final chicane really at Imola at the top of the hill before you drop down to the final few corners. 
you kind of have to just launch over it because there's just you lose too much time if you don't yeah um, there are other places though that aren't they've got similar looking curbs but they're it's not as much benefit to be gained by using them. So the risk isn't worth it. Because as you probably found, you do tend to, as you're practicing that particular yeah. corner, you do spin a lot. You'll break your front wing a couple of times until you get it right. So Brad, can you can you make this kind of dumb it down for me a little bit? Let's say even the red and white curbs, if I fully commit to getting onto those curbs, my steering goes light. It feels uncomfortable. Uh, I, I feel like I'm losing a ton of grip and, and I'm always really cautious about going onto the curbs even though it's always dry in eye racing so I, I tend to like really not maximize the amount of curb i'm taking and give them a wide berth whenever possible so what can we do to make someone like me feel better about how the car feels once you hit a curb okay so obviously we're talking about raised curbs because there are some red and white curbs which are just painted flat yeah. or you know they're slightly rough but they're, they're not actually raised up in the air like these kind of domed ones so assuming we're talking about raised curbs Maybe what could help people out is just understanding what's happening to the car and why it all suddenly goes light and you feel like you're going to lose the rear. Um, and, and obviously all you're doing is you're taking the weight off the inside tires. You're, you're basically taking them off the floor in some respects and then maybe overloading the outside tire, particularly the outside rear, um, if it feels like the rear of the car is going to spin around on you. And so in, in an instant, in this kind of impact as you hit the curb, the balance of the car is completely changing like in, in a very dramatic way. So you have to be ready for it. You can't just expect to keep the throttle pinned, for example. Right, yeah. Um, and and the car will just be fine. If you're already on the limit of grip and then you suddenly change the weight distribution of the car massively uh, and you know take a lot of the work away from the inside tires, they're not really touching the floor anymore, then it is going to affect how the car handles and make it try and either understeer if your front wheels are, are obviously in the air or generally once the rear tires hit the curb, oversteer and so you need mm. to be ready to respond to it by maybe reducing the throttle being ready to apply opposite lock very quickly and remember that for next time so that you can uh, fine tune exactly how you're approaching that curb you know whether maybe you've lifted off a fraction before you get there so you're not in danger of spinning the wheels as the weight transfers all that that kind of thing would hopefully help people out see dorian dorian the the, the thing i think i tend to do is panic lift <laughs> and then i find myself even in more trouble well um as Brad said, it's very important to be able to predict what's going to happen to the car as you mount that curb and what's the ideal situation you want to be in to be able to clip that, that raised raise curb as the best way possible. Let's say in the LMP2, uh, the car is very tricky on the curb. It's not very good on the curbs, similar to the F3. And it's very important to keep a sustained amount of throttle while you're clipping any curb. And it doesn't matter how high it is or how low it is. The car just likes to bounce. They're trying to fix it. They have made some improvements, but it's still very bouncy. So if you keep a sustained amount of throttle, don't really move it as much. Just keep a, a really a, a set amount of pressure on the rear tires. Let's say 30%, for example, of throttle throughout you crossing that curb. It's going to keep the car nice and stable. And, you know, just being able to predict that with every car and per track is going to help you a lot getting comfortable on those curbs. I've, I've heard this with curbs uh, quite a bit. And this was, a, this was Kyle again talking about the curb at Imola. And he's saying, as you're hitting the curb, you want to be applying some throttle just to have the wheels kind of moving and reacting and interacting with the curb. Does that make sense, Brad? Yeah, so what you don't want to be doing is, for example, accelerating particularly hard or decelerating because then you're shifting the weight even more in a different direction. You know, if you're slowing down on the way into a corner, which you tend to be, you know, maybe trailing the brakes or something like that as you as you hit the apex, 
the weight is going to be all the way over the nose. And then when it, when the car's unsettled and the rear wants to move, cause you've hit this curb, it's going to be even worse. Cause you've already got weight like kind of falling over the nose. If you're keeping a constant throttle, like Dorian was saying, then you're kind of keeping the car balanced and stable. So it's less likely to react uh, in a bad way, either with understeer or oversteer. Um, and at least you've got a kind of predictable platform from which to then respond if something does happen. You're not having to go from full throttle to full off the throttle. You're kind of keeping it okay. as balanced as possible, particularly in the stiffer cars like an LMP2 or a Formula 3 car. All right, so I need to have a plan as I'm going to hit that curb and just appreciate that, yes, I'm on a slightly different surface, be aware of what I'm doing with the throttle. Um, So I'm not mad that I do have to treat it differently because I had this kind of feeling that maybe everybody else just drove through it like it was nothing and there's me going, oh, oh no, curb. It does seem like some of the aliens are just doing that, but no, everybody has to treat it a little bit differently. (laughs) Brilliant. Okay, good. I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll move on to a couple of uh, listener questions. I think the first one will be fairly short. And then, in fact, I'll give you the second one in advance so you can think about it. It's from Sam Watley, who says, if you could change three things about iRacing, uh, what would they be? So we can have three each or or three between us, depending on what we've got. Um, And if you want to leave a question, you can email me spannersready at gmail.com. Um, or you can, uh, I guess, we'll start throwing these up on YouTube at some point. Hmm, maybe you can leave comments and stuff there. But for now, spannersready at gmail.com. Um, we've got a voice note because this is from Race Control's Richard Molden, who does uh, the race control and is your driver steward for the Missed Apex Formula Renault 2.0 series. Uh, so don't do what some people did, which is um, take out the race control driver on track and expect to not get a penalty for it. So here we go. Question one is, uh, sometimes when I find myself uh, up the, uh, the nosebleed end of the grid and I've outperformed myself in qualifying and I, maybe I'm in a top split, uh, I find myself very nervous and my uh, braking foot gets very, very wobbly. Uh, maybe I'm overthinking things a bit and I generally lock up into the first corner and lose a ton of places just because I'm very, very nervous. Now, obviously, Brad is not a psychologist, so he's not going to be able to help me with that. But I'd be interested with, uh, does Brad feel that sometimes, uh, either in real life or in iRacing? And how does he deal with it? Uh, well, question then uh, for both of you. Uh, Brad first. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Yeah, so to answer Richard's question, um, first of all, Yes, I do. I do get that much more in iRacing than I do in real life because 
at those moments where, you know, it's the start of the race, you've got cold tires, lots of stuff's going on and, and you need to, you know, survive the first few corners. And especially if you've qualified well, you don't want to lose this, this good position you found yourself in. Um, I find it much harder to, to feel, obviously there's no G force happening. I'm not being thrown around in the seat. So um, monitoring and responding to those small, subtle grip level changes when everything's a little bit odd and maybe you're on a different line to normal because you're battling other cars. You might be tucked up on the inside where you haven't really practiced that particular line. And as I say, cold tires, it's easy for something to go wrong and it's easy for your race to be ruined in that moment. And in real life, it's not so much of an issue because you feel you can feel more at that moment. And, and so it's a little bit easier to make sure you don't do any silly uh, mistakes at the start. In iRacing, sim racing in general, until I've settled in and got comfortable with the feel, there's much more of a danger of that. And so, yes, I do. I have that same nervousness. And just to give a specific example, Daytona 24 hours at the weekend, um, I did the fourth stint for our team. So that was after we were quite a few hours into the race and my teammates had all done an excellent job. They, <laughs> the the car was completely clean. They were driving well in a you know, half decent position. And it was then over to me. And I hadn't driven the car in hours and hours and hours because the race has been on for ages and I've been observing the race. So getting in the car for the first time, leaving the pits, I was nervous as hell. And, and my first couple of laps were way slower than they could have been. Um, but purely because I just had to be extra careful to make sure that nothing went wrong and ruin everybody else's race. Um, yeah. and, and so I do feel, I completely recognize what, what Richard's talking about there. Uh, Dorian, I'm making assumptions here, but you're, you're not a real world driver. Also, you are purely a sim driver. Do you, do you get th- those nerves? I mean, me on, on the start line, I am always just like a bag of nerves going, Oh my God. Uh, what about yourself? I find to have that. Um, it, it depends, but I, I do get that sometimes. It seems like the more I prepare for a race, the more it's likely to happen. You're invested. I have a league race every other week. And in those races, I can get quite nervous. Even though I'm very comfortable in my position, I usually get second place there quite consistently out of 40 drivers. So I know I have the pace and I'm still quite nervous off the bat because I've been practicing it for it for a couple of weeks now. It's not like uh, I've been, I've just done 20 laps, right? I'm good. Let's go to officials. It's there's a lot more weight to it. There's a lot. It's a, you're basically, uh, your mind is screwing with you. <laughs> and what I found is, first of all, for me, I get that wobbly foot. My left foot starts wobbling yes. when that happens. And uh, what I found could be very useful is as you're settling down to the car uh, on the grid, uh, make sure you do that early. You have, let's say, two minutes to like sign up for, make sure the car is on the grid for at least a minute and a half and just settle in and Google how to do a breathing exercise and just do some breathing exercises. <laughs> just lower yeah. that heart rate down as much as possible. It might not solve the, the wobbly foot completely, but it will get rid of it faster. Well, I, I see with you two, though, you're both running at a high level, so there's less variation. Like You will generally find yourself at the front unless you've had a complete disaster. Uh, for me and Richard there, uh, we will sometimes find that, you know, we'll be just outclassed in a field and be running around fighting for 20th uh, or so. Suddenly, like I had in the in official yesterday, I suddenly found myself in eighth. And after the concentration of being in a train, holding someone off, I even did an overtake, Brad. I'll send you the video, an actual overtake, right? Um, <laughs> the guy just ducked out and chickened out, I think, because he thought that idiot doesn't know what he's doing. I suddenly, after all the dust settled, I was in eighth and I thought, oh my goodness, I'm, I've got so much to lose now. And then with no one in front of me, no one behind me, it suddenly became much harder for me to drive 
and do things because I was torn between, well, just do I try and do a normal pace and risk it? Do I push to keep myself in a rhythm or do I try and back off? And what I ended up doing was being a bit earlier on the brakes, a bit later on the throttle, but then I, I lost all rhythm. So I think that might be happening to Richard as well there. Yeah, and certainly when you've got more to lose, when you feel you're in a position which is either unexpected or just particularly good and, and you don't want to lose this thing that you've that you've gained, yeah. um, it's much easier for this to happen. I find my, I don't know whether this is a great analogy, but um, in, in some computer audio programs, you have kind of this automatic um, balance, you know, with the, the system, whether it's Zoom or whatever, it kind of um, automatically controls the level and, and you're not... Compression, yeah you're not manually setting it. And I find my brain has this same thing in terms of, in terms of the risk uh, and therefore the nervousness during that kind of situation. If I'm out front leading and the hard work's done, maybe I've got a four second gap. My brain won't let me push crazy hard. E- even though I've previously <laughs> been able to do faster lap times, it will work out. Okay, you can afford to lose two tenths per lap for the next few laps. So we'll just automatically wind Absolutely. down the pace and, and bank this result. And it will just, I, I can't really control that until something different happens and you have to then push harder. Yeah, that automatic risk management system we have, <laughs> I, I feel the same thing. If, if I'm in a lead and I'm comfortable, it's automatic. Uh, it's, I'm going to automatically start braking earlier and I'm going to be later on the throttle and I'm just not going to take as many risks because I have more to lose and I want to calm myself down. I don't want to be on edge. When I have very little to lose, if I'm starting, if I screwed up qualifying completely and I'm starting in 20th position, this, it's going to be my fastest race ever. I'm going to go four wide into <laughs> T1. I don't care. I have nothing to lose. But the, the more further up the field I get, the less risk I take. Yeah, definitely. And by the way, for, for anyone not being able to see the faces of the people speaking, yes, they were both mocking me when I was talking about being really high up in eighth position. <laughs> that, Brad, that was the most patronizing smile I've ever seen. I, I didn't intend for it to be, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, no, I think that's, it's a really interesting question, I think, because um, I, I don't have a plan. So I, there's no automatic compression for me, no automatic risk management for me. Um, I don't practice trying to go at a steady pace. Is that something I should do? Should I go out and do laps and say, okay, don't worry about lap time at all. Just act as if you're trying to bring it home to the end. From my point of view, I actually don't think you need to bother. I think you should practice doing the very fastest pace possible and then doing a slightly steadier pace should just be easy. You just push less hard. You know, all the Mm. things that Dorian just said, you just break a little bit earlier, you get on the throttle a little bit later and that's it. You don't have to change much more than that. (laughs) But talking about practicing and having a plan... I think that is a really good idea. I always, for example, in my prep for official races, will make sure I've practiced the pit entry because nice. I, I want to lose as little time as possible if it does go wrong. I don't want to find that the limiter line is in a different place to where I expect it and pick up a silly penalty. Um, I will practice quite often driving a different line into turn one yep. just to make sure I know how much, maybe I need to go down an extra gear if I'm pressed up against the inside on that one, that kind of thing. And obviously practice start. So I, I already do that. I definitely, I, I'm quite pessimistic about lap one. So I do a practice start as if I'm completely swamped and there's three wide and I've got to take the narrowest line <laughs> around the inside. All right. Yeah, that's good. Good question there from Richard. Thank you very much. Um, uh, let's end then on Sam Watley's question. If you could change three things about iRacing, what would they be? Do either of you two have one? I do. Go on then, Dorian. Let's have yours first. Uh, what's, 
Let's, I have a few examples, but the one I'm saltiest about is the protesting system. Oh, yes. The way, uh, well, specifically the criteria for racing incidents. What is considered a racing incident by iRacing? See, we have the AI, the computer, that tells us, look, if there's been, a con- there's been contact between, four car- between two cars, both are equally blamed. The computer can tell the difference. The reason why people uh, manually submit uh, a protest is because they need that human perspective. And if that human's perspective is no different than the one the computer gives you, then it's, I, w- I don't want to say worthless, but almost insignificant. Uh, it, the criteria for racing incidents should be a lot, uh, uh, a lot smaller. Yeah, but it obviously... Should be more blame-casted. So... They give you the option to do a, a protest, and I believe there's a cooldown period as well. So I've never bothered because it's like you must wait 24 hours. Like, yeah, I'm going to sleep by then and have a beer. I'll be fine. Um, obviously, it's quite it's mandronic if you submit a protest, so a human has to look at it. Um, so I, I have some sympathy there because that's very resource intensive. You'd have to have a whole team of stewards to be covering hundred thousand or whatever it is people that are racing in a given week. So I have some sympathy there, Brad, but. Um, the the in a way it's great that any contact you're both blamed because i always try and think of that myself like if i'm involved in a contact it's at least partly my fault because i was there what could i have done to avoid it but i find it frustrating that the system can't differentiate between someone on a normal braking line who breaks at the normal point doing all the normal things and then the person who steams in from behind and clatters them it feels like the technology exists to go no it wasn't that front guy's fault in defense of of the iRacing system, I think considering you you're using a you're doing a thing where there is no danger physically to you from crashing and there's there's no financial risk to you from crashing, having to pay accident damage, that kind of thing. You've got a scenario where it's very it would be very easy for people to just have crashes and be careless. And I think the fact that everybody loses when contact's made, whether through damage or whether through, you know, the, the cars are fragile, or whether through um, incident points, uh, especially if you if you care about those, um, or through having your wrist slapped by a human reviewing the incident and telling you off and saying, because, they, you know, I've had that before where I've, I've had a, an incident review. I didn't even know I was involved in anything. And suddenly I'm, I'm being told off by iRacing. It oh. does make you, it does make you think. And I think it, it is at least a good system in keeping things clean. And, what, what did you do? I rejoined in front of someone um, and I didn't realize I'd inconvenienced them in a way I had. There was no contact. There was no issues. I just carried on, but they weren't happy about the way I rejoined. So I got, I got protested for it. I'm sure there've been others as well in the past. You know, I've been, I've been on the iRacing service for 10 years on and off. So, um, so there were probably things certainly when I was, when I was newer to it, that I was probably more careless. I think they, they do a decent job given the limitations, as you say, of the manpower and, and that kind of thing. So, Dorian, what kind of experiences have you had with the protest system? Have you had many upheld? Um, well, I'm currently banned from official racing. <laughs> oh, I see. You rogue. What happened? Tell, tell us the story. And it was absolutely my choice to be banned. I knew I was going to get banned because of it. And a lot of it is down to my frustration and disappointment from the protest system. Okay. Did you do a Scott Speed? <laughs> Well, uh, basically, there's a guy who's periodically uh, who will pretty periodically forget to break on turn one. 
Um, he's do, he's done that to me before. Is it forget? The, the, is it inverted commas forget? Yeah, it's, it's all uh, it's all an honest mistake to miss the breaking line by fifty meters on first lap <laughs> on the first okay. corner by a three point five k driver. That's right. four years in the service. Okay, it's just an honest. We, we won't honest name names. Mistake. Don't name names. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely not. I will not. But they know who they are. <laughs> and it, when it's consistent with a certain driver, I get very frustrated. And I know that the protesting system will not allow for a ban. Maybe a slap on the wrist, but it's not a bannable offense. So you got you got uh, banned for a, a revenge collision, for retaliation. Yeah. But in a way, doesn't that show that the system kind of works? So presumably he protested your retaliation and got yes. you got you back. Is it a temporary ban or are you banned forever? Uh, just just for a week. It's fine. It's just a little break. I needed that break. <laughs> I racing jail. That's that's spectacular, Brad. I mean, I don't think that would ever cross your mind to go out of your way and go, right, do you know what? You're worth a week's ban, you moron. You know, I, what's interesting is I, I have a professional reputation to uphold. So I wouldn't do it um, firstly because I don't yeah. want someone sharing that online. And as I mentioned, um, uh, did Dorian do a Scott Speed? Because Scott Speed famously deliberately took someone out and it was then shared around online. Um, and, and he got, oh, he yes, got banned as on well. Racing, so, yeah. Um, I wouldn't do that for that reason. I wouldn't do it because my sim teams that I represent, I wouldn't want their name tarnished. So I've got kind of reasons to not do it. And that's aside from personally being banned from the service for a week. So um, I, I tend to, even if I was very hard done by, I think I would probably keep my cool the majority of the time. Um, so yeah, I, I haven't been banned, thankfully. I do my best effort to avoid, I mean, I race F3 about five to 10 times a week. That's that sort of stuff happens to me all the time. I mean, it's not like I do. I really do my best to try to keep a positive attitude and all right, let's try to come back from this, fix the car, see how many places we can get back. But sometimes it's just, you know, obviously Brad has a lot more to lose than I do. I all I had to do is just, you know, take a, take a week's <laughs> vacation. I can still do track guides. Everything's fine. I can still maintain my channel. So okay. I don't have any issues. But um, usually I really do my best to. Uh, Try to keep a positive mindset and maybe not to blame right off the bat and start going off on voice comms. But that one was a hundred percent verified. Oops, I did it again. Kind of situation, so I had to do something. So let's let's vote then, listeners. Is Dorian is he a is he a terrorist or a freedom fighter as far as the <laughs> iRacing protest system goes? Um, I, well, I'm seeing that as a sign of, of the protest system actually working, and I think in our community, people have been frustrated that there's no way to just have a racing incident that was your fault for being dumb punished. Uh, if you do something deliberately, you can protest and say, this guy deliberately wrecked me. But the guy who is side by side with you in the corner and then just opens up his steering because he's terrible, in a real life race, the stewards, Brad, would say, well, that was your fault. You're responsible for that crash. You've got a grid penalty for the next race. That doesn't exist in iRacing, it's, which means you've just end, got to end up giving people... You've got to give up. You've got to give up more racing room to irresponsible drivers to protect yourself, and that's not quite right. That's a really good segue into my first thing that I would change about iRacing, sure, sure. because you also have to give people extra racing room because of net code. Ah, yes. I mean, unavoidable. Explain briefly what what net code is. Um, we hear that phrase bandied about, but you know, it's it's not perfect because we're not physically in. I guess we're not physically in the same room as people and the speed of light is unfortunately at the moment insurmountable and that signal has to take some time to get to everyone. 
yeah, so I'm not saying I think there is a way around this necessarily. Um, and I don't know the exact technical details of precisely why this happens, but netcode is when you don't actually crash into someone, but iRacing thinks you have crashed into them or, or they've crashed into you. Um, and so there's still, when you watch the replay, uh, a gap, an obvious gap between you and, and the car that you've made contact with in inverted commas, um, yet you still effectively have a crash. Um, and I've so- I see, um, I had a really bad example of this at Spa um, a few weeks ago. Well, fortunately for me, it didn't actually affect me at all. I had no damage and, and I didn't register uh, a crash. But the car I was racing, I overtook with about five or six feet of gap between us, oh, no. found himself fired off into the barriers and then angrily um, shouted at me on the voice chat, only to then apologize when he saw the replay. And it was just the biggest netcode ever. So if I could change that about iRacing, I would certainly get rid of netcode. Did he, did he not do a revenge punting and then get banned for a week? His car was far too badly damaged for that. <laughs> to do a revenge punting. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, uh, Dorian, that's, it's, it's an insurmountable possibly um, barrier to their technology. I don't know if, I don't even know, is iRacing particularly bad compared to other sims? Because I don't do any other sims. I think the way to solve it is not to change something in, within iRacing, but maybe the criteria for a good connection. So if you have uh, uh, a particularly bad connection, your ping is... Uh, right now, there is, a, there is a system implementation where you can get kicked out of the server, but I think that bar is set too high. It should be set much lower. So in our sessions, we, when we have just missed Apex people on, within our community we know who the Australians are and that, and they ended up getting in more incidents and someone put two and two together and went, oh, hang on, it's the Aussies that seem to get into these accidents when no one knows what's happening or it's netcode. So we tend to give more racing room if you're racing between someone and, and an Australian, uh, which is kind of nice in a way. But in the official sessions, I mean, they do work hard to, to give a European server, a US server and an Australian server, but they, they don't separate that in the races, do they? You can be thrown in with anyone. And just as a, an addition to this, it's not netcode technically, I guess, but when you have a car blinking where it keeps yeah, disappearing yeah. and then suddenly reappearing, I, I have a, a strong um, feeling that, that those cars should be automatically like excluded a bit earlier than they are. You know, If the connection's not up to it, maybe that person could just be quietly removed from the race without affecting their I rating because <laughs> it might be a bit unfair I think, oh, if they lost yeah. their race. Maybe there could be a system where it was like, like they were never in the race in the first place. Hundred um, percent, I agree. So maybe for like higher classes or higher scale events and stuff like that. Yeah, we've had that with the Missed Apex series where we try and stream it as an event, and um, and we have like the odd car, but because we know them, we can say, "Hey, Dave, um, you're blinking. Could you go and plug in a wired connection?" And that tends to solve it. You know, a lot of the time it's ping and not overall quality, and it's stability. So it's somebody who's like, oh, I've got really amazing fast internet. I've got no problem. And, and they're like, right, where's your router? Oh, in the basement. Where are you? Well, I'm on the fourth floor. Do you know what I mean? So it's like being really far away from the router and stuff like that. So it's solvable, but it would be interesting if they, they implemented something like that where, oh, man, it really is turning into like um, a pay series, isn't it? You, if, you've, if you've got better kit, you can do better. If you've got better internet, you can do better as well. Oh, you, you two are just gatekeeping. You're gatekeeping iRacing from a privileged tech position. Well, we have that privilege where our connections work well and we have decent enough equipment that uh, we can look at it. But yeah, obviously, if someone were to look at it from a capitalistic point of view, iRacing wants everyone in. And if you're using McDonald's Wi-Fi, 
and <laughs> yes. uh, a, a controller, you're still technically allowed to race with me. So, you know, you can't keep those people out uh, very easily. But as as Brad said, a, a system that will uh, kick you out with no penalty to your I rating and SR would be amazing, would be really beneficial. And it won't cause too much salt within the community, I think, because people will understand why that happens. Uh, absolutely fantastic. I think we'll wrap that up there. That's a great amount of content there for for, for episode four of Miss Apex iRacing. And uh, it's lovely to interact and meet with our brand new friend. Uh, don't upset him, uh, but he's got very good YouTube videos. Uh, he's Dorian Tabernick. I've been working on that that name have i said it right still got it wrong no <laughs> hang on let me try again tabachnik okay. tabachnik there you go 10 out of 10 dorian tabachnik i won't punch you next time i see you on the track oh my goodness he won't punch me i'm scared i'm <laughs> genuinely scared uh, where can people find your youtube videos what do we search uh youtube.com slash dorian 12 that's dorian without the a in it and the number 12 okay dorian 12 and um, uh, obviously brad you can search for brad dude 2k or search for bradley philpot i guess on youtube to find your streams and you and i have been in quite a lot of conversations because uh, doing eye racing streams particularly in vr it's a it's a dark art uh, but your streams are starting to look uh, proper proper now i'm doing my very best it's the audio that's the hardest bit and it's particularly because i'm running in vr i'm sure this is over complicating things where Every time I load into iRacing, <laughs> the, the VR headset suddenly takes priority as the audio device. And then I have to manually change everything back on the stream. So uh, I'm trying to work, a, work around that. But yeah, the streams are coming on well. Brilliant. And you can search for Brad at Bradley Philpot on Twitter as well. We don't have a Twitter account for this show yet, but you can follow us at Missed Apex F1. Uh, you can follow me at Spanners Ready. I'm the best one. That's definitely worthwhile if you want to hear me complaining about my wife and kids. Spanners 90s Radio, if you're a Spotify listener, remain indoors and Missed Apex F1 podcast. Tune in for the next episode of Missed Apex iRacing. We'll make you quicker. Missed Apex iRacing podcast does not condone revenge puntings or any on-track violence at any point. Please be a good member of the iRacing community. Join us in the swarm. Let's do stuff the right way. Unless they're really, really mean and hit you loads. In that case, definitely do it. iRacing is war. No, it's not. It's the first thing I said. Bye.